Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, the Tinderbox by Hans Christian Andersen, or just Hans Andersen in the PDF we have. Uh, it's uh, from a book called Andersen's Fairy Tales, which I picked up um, for eight dollars. Uh, it's uh, by Charles E. Graham and Company. It has no date inside, although someone has inscribed it. Uh, Harold Jackson's Christmas, nineteen twenty-three. Uh, Morris and Bessie. So, um, <laughs> somebody gave this as a gift uh, for Christmas, and uh, it's a pretty good gift because uh, it's got illustrations. Um, and some pretty interesting stories, including this one. The original publication was in 1846 in a book called uh, A Danish Storybook. Uh, that would have been in Danish, presumably. And this is an English no, translation. No? No? Yeah, no. Th- I, my research says that its original English translation was 1846, and the Danish original was 1835. Oh, uh, that makes more sense. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you probably wouldn't say but it's a Danish storybook if that was the Danish title. Right. But I do remember those illustrations. This is the the version that I read when I was a child. So I'm guessing that I read this at least 60 or 65 years ago. Mm. And it came roaring back to me when I reread it. This is a a nifty story. This is boy, did I not understand it then the way I understand it now. This is not the first version I read. I actually read it um, in, as usual, Classics Illustrated Junior, um, ah. issue number 540, which was from uh, July 1957. I, I read it um, much more recently than that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it takes some liberties with the, um, uh, the plot, um, but the illustrations are absolutely magnificent, and I do encourage people to go have a look at those on archive.org. And um, I would love for you, Eric, to read it to us, and then we can discuss what what changed between uh, when you read it 60 years ago and when you read it today. <laughs> okay. The Tinderbox. A soldier came marching along the highway. One, two, one, two. He had his knapsack on his back and a sword by his side as he had been in the wars and was now returning home. Then he met an old witch on the road. She was frightfully ugly and her underlip hung right down on her chest, says she. Good evening, soldier. What a fine sword and big knapsack you have got. You seem indeed a real soldier, and now you shall have as much money as you care about. Thank you, old witch, said the soldier. You see that big tree there, said the witch, pointing to a tree close by. It is hollow, and you shall climb up to the top when you will see a hole through which you will slide. To the bottom, I will fasten a rope round your body and haul you up when you call to me. "'What shall I do in the tree?' said the soldier. "'Fetch money,' replied the witch. "'When you reach the bottom, you will find yourself in a great corridor, light as day, for hundreds of lamps are burning there. "'Then you will see three doors which you can open, as the keys are in the holes. "'When you enter the first chamber, you will see a large trunk in the middle of the floor, "'on which sits a dog with eyes as big as a pair of teacups.' 
but don't let that frighten you. I will give you my blue check apron, which you spread on the floor, then go straight up to the dog and place him on it. You may then open the trunk and take as much money as you like. It's all copper. But if you prefer silver, go into the next chamber where there sits a dog with eyes as big as windmills. But don't let that frighten you. Put him simply on my apron and take the money. Should you, however, prefer gold, you can have it and as much as you can carry if you go into the third chamber. But the dog which sits on the trunk there has eyes as big as the round tower. That is a dog, I can tell you, but don't be afraid of him. Only put him on my apron and he won't touch you and then take as much gold from the trunk as you like. That's not a bad offer, said the soldier. But what are you to have, old witch? Some of it you want too, of course. No, said the witch, not a single coin do I want. You shall only fetch me an old tinder box, which my grandmother forgot when she was last down there. Well, tie the rope round me then, said the soldier. Here it is, said the witch, and here is my apron. And so the soldier climbed up the tree, slid through the hole, and stood next in the great corridor where hundreds of lamps were burning. Lo, there sat the dog with eyes as big as teacups, staring at him. You are a nice fellow, said the soldier placed him on the witch's apron, took as many copper coins as he could get into his pockets, locked the trunk, put the dog back on top of it, and went into the next chamber. Lo, there sat the dog with eyes as big as windmills. You shouldn't stare at me so, said the soldier. It might injure your eyes. And so he placed the dog on the witch's apron. But when he saw all the silver coin in the trunk, he threw away all the copper ones and filled his pockets and his knapsack with silver instead. Then he went into the third chamber. What a terrible sight. The dog there had really big eyes, as big as the round tower, and they rolled around in his head like wheels. Good evening, said the soldier, and touched his cap as he had never seen such a dog before. But having a good look at him, he thought that would do, lifted him onto the floor and opened the trunk. Dear me, what a quantity of gold! With that, he could have bought the whole of the capital and all the gingerbread pigs and all the tin soldiers, whips, and rocking horses in the world. Then the soldier threw away all the silver coin, which he had filled his pockets and knapsack, and put gold into them instead, as well as in his boots and cap, so that he was hardly able to walk. Now he had indeed money. The dog he placed on the trunk slammed the door and called to the witch, Now haul me up, old witch. Have you got the tinderbox? asked the witch. Really, said the soldier, I had quite forgotten that and went back to fetch it. The witch hauled him up, and he stood again in the road with pockets, boots, knapsack, and cap full of money. What are you going to do with the tinderbox? asked the soldier. That's no business of yours, said the witch. You have got your money. Give me then the tinderbox. Nonsense, said the soldier. Tell me at once what you want to do with it, or I draw my sword and cut your head off. No, I won't, said the witch. So the soldier cut her head off, and there she lay. 
But he tied up all the money in her apron, slung the bundle on his back, put the tinderbox in his pocket, and made straight for the town. It was a pretty town, and he put up at the best inn, engaged the very finest rooms, and ordered the dishes he liked best, because now, with all the money he had, he was a rich man. True, the waiter who cleaned his boots thought that they were rather a queer pair of old things for such a rich gentleman, but he had not yet bought new ones. The next day, he obtained fine boots and clothes, and now the soldier had become quite a swell, and the people told him about all the beautiful things to be found in the town, about the king, and how lovely the princess his daughter was. "'Where is she to be seen?' asked the soldier." She is not to be seen at all, they all said. She lives in a great copper castle with such a number of walls and towers around it. Nobody but the king is allowed to visit her because it has been prophesied that she shall marry a private and that the king cannot endure. I should indeed like to see her, thought the soldier. But that was, of course, out of the question. Now, he lived a merry life, went to the theater, drove in the park, and gave much money to the poor, and that was kind of him. He knew from former days how hard it was not to have a penny. He was rich now, had fine clothes, and many friends, who all said that he was a very good fellow and a real gentleman, and the soldier liked to hear that. But as he paid away money every day and had none in return, he had soon only a few coppers left and was obliged to remove from the splendid rooms he had occupied to a small garret right up under the roof, clean his own boots and patch them with a darning needle, and none of his friends came to see him any more, as there were so many stairs to mount. It was a pitch-dark evening, and he could not even afford to buy a candle. Then he remembered that there was a little bit in the tinderbox which he had fetched from the hollow tree into which the which had helped him. He brought out the tinderbox and the bit of candle, but as soon as he struck fire and the sparks flew from the flint, the door sprang open and the dog with eyes as big as teacups, which he had seen down in the tree, stood before him and said, "'What are your orders, sir?' "'What does this mean?' said the soldier. "'That is indeed something like a tinderbox. "'Can I thus get what I ask for?' "'Get me some money, then,' he said to the dog, "'which was gone in an instant and returned as quickly "'with a bag of money in its mouth.' "'Yes, now the soldier knew what a splendid tinderbox it was. "'If he struck it once, the dog sitting on the trunk "'with a copper coin appeared.' If twice, that sitting on the trunk with the silver ones, and if three times, the one on that with gold in it. Now he moved back to his splendid rooms and again dressed in his fine clothes, and all his former friends welcomed him and courted him again very much. Once he said to himself, It is strange that that princess is not to be seen. She is so lovely, everybody says, but what's the good of that if she's always to be locked up in that great copper castle with the many towers? Cannot I possibly get a look at her? Where is my tinderbox? And then he struck fire, and lo, there was the dog with the eyes as big as teacups. It is certainly midnight, said the soldier, but I should so very much like to see the princess only for a moment. The dog at once ran out, and before the soldier knew it, was back with the princess. She lay sleeping on the dog's back and was so lovely that 
everybody could see she was a real princess. The soldier could not help kissing her as he was a true soldier. The dog ran back with the princess, but the next morning at the king and queen's breakfast, the princess said she had had such a funny dream in the night of a dog and a soldier. She had ridden on the dog's back and the soldier had kissed her. That is indeed a nice story, said the queen. The following night, one of the old ladies of the court had to watch by the bed of the princess in order to see if it really was a dream or what it might be. The soldier longed immensely to see the princess again, and in the night the dog came, took her on his back, and ran off as fast as he could. But the old lady put on hunting boots and followed just as quickly. When she saw them disappearing in a big house, she thought, now I know where it is, and made a cross with a piece of chalk on the door of the house. Then she went home to bed, and soon the dog came back with the princess. But... When he saw that a cross had been made on the door of the house where the soldier lived, he took a piece of chalk and made a cross on all the doors of the town. And that was cleverly done. As now the old lady could not find the right one, there being crosses on all. Early in the morning, the king and queen, the old lady, and all the officers of the court went forth to see where the princess had been. Here it is, said the king, seeing the first door with a cross on it. No, it is there, my dear, said the queen, seeing another with a cross on it. But but there is one, and there is another, they all said. Wherever they turned their eyes, there were crosses on the doors, and they saw it was useless to try to find the right one. But the queen was a very clever woman who knew more than driving about in a carriage. She took her great gold scissors, cut up a large piece of silk, and made a neat little bag, which she filled with grits and tied it to the princess's back, and then cut a hole in the bag so that the grits should run out all along the road the princess took. The next night, the dog came back, took the princess on his back, and ran with her to the soldier, who loved her dearly and wished he was a prince so that he might marry her. The dog did not notice the grits trailing behind, right from the castle to the soldier's window, where he ran up along the wall with the princess. In the morning, the king and queen saw plainly where their daughter had been, and so the soldier was arrested and put in jail. There he was now, and oh, how dark and dismal it was there. And then they told him, "'Tomorrow you are to be hanged.'" That was not pleasant to hear, and he had left the tinderbox at the inn. In the morning, he could see through the bars of the little window people hurrying out of the town to see him hanged. He heard the drums beaten and saw the soldiers march past. Everyone was on his legs. There was even a cobbler's apprentice with his apron and slippers on who ran so fast that one of the slippers flew off his foot and right up against the wall where the soldier sat looking through the bars. Hide here, you cobbler's apprentice, shouted the soldier. You need not be in such a hurry as nothing will be done until I come, but if you will run to where I lived and fetch me my tinderbox, I will give you a shilling, but mind you make use of your legs. The cobbler's apprentice liked to earn the shilling and ran as fast as he could to fetch the tinderbox, which he gave to the soldier, and, yes, now you shall hear. Outside the town, a high gallows had been erected, and around it stood soldiers and thousands of people. 
the king and queen sat on a beautiful throne right opposite the judge and the whole council. The soldier stood already on the top ladder, but as they were putting the rope round his neck, he said that the condemned was always granted an innocent wish before he suffered his punishment. He would so like a smoke. It would be the last in this world. The king could not well refuse this. And so the soldier took his tinderbox and struck fire. One, two, three, and there stood all three dogs before him, that with eyes as big as teacups, that with eyes as big as windmills, and that with eyes as big as the round tower. Now help me not to be hung, said the soldier. And so the dogs rushed at the judge and the whole council, seized one by the leg and another by the nose and threw them so high into the air that they were smashed into bits. I won't, said the king, but the biggest dog seized both him and the queen and threw them after the others. Then all the soldiers became frightened and the people shouted, Dear soldier, you shall be king and have the lovely princess. So they seated the soldier in the king's carriage and the three dogs jumped before it and shouted, Hurrah! The boys whistled with their fingers and the soldiers presented arms. The princess came forth from the copper castle and became queen, which pleased her well enough. The marriage feast lasted a whole week and the dogs, too, sat at table staring about with their big eyes. Pretty weird story. (laughs) A lot of weird things happen in it. Um uh, we've talked about this before, how the difference between folk tales and fairy tales. Um, there are, are a couple of f- folk tales that I think inspired parts of this. Um, I'm going to just throw them at you, see what you think. Um, Aladdin is the first part with the witch going into the cave. There was an uncle in Aladdin who sends him into the cave to get the magic lamp um, that gives three wishes. So we've got here uh, a tinderbox instead of a lamp. They're both associated with fire. Um, in that case, it was a wicked uncle, and probably not even really his uncle. In this case, it's a witch. <laughs> um, it, it's a soldier here, but it was a, just a young boy there, I think. And then the other one, um, with the queen, uh, she makes a bag uh, full of grit with a hole in it. And um, this... And combined with the the cross, which she puts on the door, makes me think of Hansel and Gretel. Although it only uh, happens twice in that story, it happens twice in here. The first time it, it doesn't work, the second time it works. So it's kind of a reversal of that. With Hansel and Gretel, it's the white stones uh, Hansel lays, and then it's the breadcrumbs, which fails. So it's kind of a, like an inversion of that. So I can see, like, how he constructed it. He used the rule of three. <laughs> but right. it has a different effect than both of those folktales. Quite strikingly different effect. And um, um, I can't but help of think of the Copper Castle and the fact that our, our hero is a murderer and a liar. <laughs> and, a, you know, uh, just a spendthrift. Um, a, pro- a profligate um, that maybe he's going to drop the copper princess from her copper castle and go on to the silver princess in her silver castle <laughs> the way he did with you know the coppers and then the silver and then the gold so um, there is a pattern established um, 
Is that how we're supposed to read it? How did you read it originally? And what do you think of what I'm thinking about it as an adult? Well, you know, it's hard for me to remember exactly how I responded to it low these many years ago, but it made a big impression on me. Uh, I remember the illustrations. I remember the going down under the tree. Mm -hmm. And I remember that he gets to marry the princess and become king. I didn't remember uh, the parts that my students would have said, oh, (laughs) Rapkin, you have sex on your mind. Um, This, uh, (laughs) I saw this as an adventure. I I didn't like the fact that he dispatched the the witch, Um, but I understood that I was supposed to be on his side. Right. As I look at the, the... folk tales that with which this resonates and this is you know Hans Christian Andersen wrote these and published them under his own name he didn't pretend that he was transcribing right. old tales he was writing new tales but he's clearly writing them for children mm-hmm. um, one of the ways you can tell that is because of the way he's his narrative says and lo this and lo that and he says he has enough money to do to buy tin soldiers I mean, right. and hobby horses you know clearly this isn't being written for grown-ups it's being written for for kids to hear he's a child so, soldier <laughs> he, he wants gingerbread well, Hey, right. He wants ginger. Well, he's the audience understands he could buy gingerbread, but he's not a soldier. Um, as I read this as an adult, I see all kinds of other resonances. For example, the tree mm-hmm. is described as being hollow and you're going to grow up to the top and then go down into it. And I'll right. have a rope tied around you. This is very reminiscent of Rapunzel, oh, yeah. where, in fact, in the grim versions, we're told that the tower has no doors or windows, but only one window at the top, mm-hmm. right, at the very top. And so, in other words, it's phallic. Mm-hmm. And this this is phallic. This, this hollow tree is phallic. She looks, the old witch looks at him and sees that he has a good knapsack and a good sword. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we need to think a whole lot about male genitalia to understand what it means ah. for him to be a real soldier. And in fact... Later on, we hear him said again, of course he did this because he was a real soldier. Yeah. The king didn't want a private, a low-level soldier, to be able to have his daughter. And so he keeps her locked away. This is a story about the competition between two men mm. for a woman. Mm. Just as Rapunzel is a story about the competition of the two women for a man. And a lot of what you say, for instance, about um, Hansel and Gretel being reversed here mm-hmm. has to do with the fact that the hero of Hansel and Gretel is Gretel. Right. And Hansel messes up when he leaves the breadcrumbs, mm-hmm. which is a female thing. It's food. Here, it is a man who is the hero. And so the woman um, is using the right, that is the queen, is using a female thing, the grits. Mm-hmm. It works for her. So it should but by bringing the king and queen into um, into the, the 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 same room as our soldier, it precipitates the action which allows him to succeed. This is uh, succeed the king. It's as if it were the the six soldiers of fortune or the gallant tailor. Again and again in Grimm, when it's a male protagonist, he can lie, cheat, do all kinds of bad things. He'll get the girl, and he'll move up in social status. And that's what happens here. 
So if you wanted to take a look at more of the the sexual imagery, I mean, and there is lots, you know, striking fire. Take a look. It's called the Tinder Box. I don't know about Vancouver, but in the, here below the border in the United States, the word box has a, a slang meaning. Mm-hmm. And we know that the old witch has, okay, so she doesn't have saggy breasts. She has an underlip which goes all the way down to her chest. Right. Right. She's ugly. The princess is beautiful. The princess is so beautiful that the soldier, being a true soldier, kisses her. Yeah. While she's asleep. Yeah. He forces himself on her. Right. And after doing it a couple of times, he's in love with her. Yeah. Meaning lust. Right. Um, so we've got the different ages of females here. We have the virginal female, the princess, the, the, the queen who is of childbearing age and the postmenopausal old witch. Mm-hmm. The, the soldier dispatches the old witch, cares nothing about that. Why was the tinderbox down there? Because her grandmother mm-hmm. had forgotten it. In other words, you get old enough, you really can't remember your tinderbox, ah. which is the place where if you scratch it, it strikes fire. Okay, I'm trying to get a point across I here without it. making it X, an X-rated podcast. <laughs> One of the questions that occurs to me in reading this, why is the princess so acquiescent, in fact, happy to go off with her rapist? Mm. And let him become the king and she become the queen. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me the answer is clear. She has already gotten to the age of marriageability, but her parents are keeping her locked up in the lowest value place they can find, Mm -hmm. a high but copper tower. Mm -hmm. He comes along and he scratches her tinderbox. And by golly, they're dead anyway. Heck, I'm going with the guy who brought this up in me, who mm-hmm. inflamed me. So at their at their marriage feast, which took a whole week, the dog sat staring with their big eyes. Yep. What were they looking at? They were looking at young erotica. You know, this was passion. And it happens along the way. Anderson is making a very good argument that in our modern society, what we think of people, where we think they fit in social class, how we have our attitudes toward them depends entirely on money. So when you've got money, you're a gentleman. And when you don't have it, you're poor. Mm-hmm. You're, you're nobody. When you have money, you are um, you have friends when you don't you don't he gets money and how does he get it he gets it by stealing what an old witch had available to her but had no longer a way to reach herself in a sense if you're looking for other resonances this is like the gold hoard that a dragon sits on and that the young the young man with a sword can dispatch it, and the money is rightfully his. And that's what happens to Aladdin, too. Mm-hmm. He manages to get the girl as well as the gold. Mm-hmm. I think this is a terrific story. The symbolism just yells for analysis. But if I were reading it to a six-year-old, I wouldn't say, 
most of what I've just said to, <laughs> today. It's interesting because I, I think resonances work whether you are consciously aware of them or not. Um, because I think they're put in there by the author, whether consciously or not. Um, but when they resonate within you and you say this is a powerful story, maybe you don't know why, um, unlocking them just makes you appreciate it. It doesn't make you um, say that the story isn't powerful anymore because I know how it was put together. There's some weird things going on in, in this story. Um, one of them is that there's talking dogs, right? Um, the fact that they've been sitting on these chests since the grandmother's age <laughs> um, and not doing anything and what, what's, the, what's the apron for, all sorts of interesting things. The, probably the strangest thing, uh, the image in here, is uh, when... Uh, I'll just read the line. Then she went home to bed, and soon the dog came back with the princess. But when he saw that a cross had been made on the door of the house where the soldier lived, he took a piece of chalk and made a cross on all the doors in town. That he here doesn't refer to the soldier. It refers to the dog. So right. I just have this image of the dog seeing, oh, there's a cross on the door. I know what I need to do. My master needs me to do this. And he just gets a piece of chalk and starts putting a cross on every door in town. It's bizarre. <laughs> like It's a, a, almost like beyond uh, a dream capability. But when you don't read this as um, a, a uh, you know, how could this possibly happen story, you see that these dogs are uh, servants to power. And they're like robotic in a certain sense. They go out and, and retrieve and get, by command, money. I command you to bring me money, the dog brings money. I command you to bring me a princess, dog brings a princess. Wish I had dogs like that. We all would be richer for it. <laughs> you know, if you can find that you talk about the sex and you talk about the social structure and you talk about even prehistoric fairy tales, um, one of the things Anderson has done since I enjoyed this 60 some odd years ago and I can enjoy it now is a demonstration that when the story is well done, there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.